Well, good morning, friends and family. Welcome to Convergent Church. Um, just want to start by saying just a happy and blessed Mother's Day to all the moms uh, in the audience today. Um, thank you so much for having children. <laughs> thank you so much for many of you for preaching the gospel to your children um, and rearing and raising Christian children that can go out in the world and share the glory of who Jesus is. And so just, just know that we're very thankful for you right now. Um, and I think, too, right now in our nation, it's just a very poignant message that mothers are needed Mothers are blessed, and so I just want to say thank you so much um, just on behalf of our church. And so um, I want to start today with a question, and the question is this. What is the reason for your freedom? What is the reason for your freedom? Why have you been made alive in Jesus Christ? What is the purpose that you have in belonging to God? Just in a sense, why are you free. If you're joining us today, we're, we're continuing walking through the book of Galatians uh, in a series we're calling Freedom Through Faith, and we've been talking quite a little about, quite a lot about the, the true gospel, the pure gospel, the right gospel. We've talked a lot about, about false teachers, and so we're kind of sort of continuing in that vein. So if you were here last week, um, this is sort of a continuation of last week's message. Um, but we talked about false teachers last week who, who came into the church and began to challenge the right and true gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of, of unmerited favor, the gospel that brings us freedom from works, the gospel that, that calls dead men to be alive through the simple mercy of God, and, and ultimately a Christ-centered gospel and not a man-centered gospel. That's been our focus, and that is Paul's focus as well in this book. So in writing to the church of Galatia, Paul is really desiring that this, this small church, this network of churches, live in the freedom that the gospel provides that they live in the freedom that the gospel brings. But Paul continually encounters opposition to this gospel. And he begins this next portion of, of Scripture with an argument for the gospel by confirming his authority as an apostle, his authority to preach the right and true gospel. And so our first point today is this. We're going to be speaking about the freedom of Christian authority. The freedom of Christian authority. Uh, turn to Galatians 1. Today, we are going to be talking uh, about chapters 1, verses 11 through. It's a good question. Where are we ending today? I don't know. We'll end when we get there. So we're starting at 11. That's where we're starting for sure. So it says this, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is defending his title and designation as an apostle. And many of us have heard that word, apostle. A lot of us have heard it before, but, but I, I would reckon that most of us probably don't know what it means. I know for a long time, um, I've been a Christian for about... 12 years, 13 years, and I know for a long time the term apostle was not something that I knew. To me, it was sort of synonymous with disciple or Christ follower or you know, walker in the way, whatever else you would call a Christian. So what is an apostle? 
An apostle is a title of special designation among the family of God, the church. And, and it has basically three main qualifiers, and they are this. An apostle needs to have witnessed and received revelation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. So they need to have witnessed Jesus after he had risen from the dead and was resurrected and received teaching from him. Number two, these people were chosen specifically by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus chose his apostles, he went and he prayed. He sought the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit showed him who he should choose. And number three, these men could perform very miraculous signs and wonders, specifically healing and casting out demons. And Paul begins this week by saying, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about his apostleship. So let's take a look at Paul's authority. That word apostle, in a very broad term, means sent one. It can be used interchangeably. You have this this. this high title of apostle that was given to specific men, but there's also a broad term in which it's used that just means simply sent one. That title of designation were those few individuals that were sent out directly by the resurrected Jesus to give witness to who Jesus was and what he has done. And Jesus actually names these special men in Matthew 10 verse 2. It says this, so the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Twelve men chosen by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and give the initial testimony of who Jesus was and what he had done. But most notably, there's a name that we don't find on this list. We do not see Paul's name on this initial list. And so one of the things these false teachers were doing as they were coming into the church is they were sort of condemning and outing Paul as not being a true apostle because his name was not found in this initial 12 men. These false teachers who had come to distort the gospel, to pervert the gospel, as I preached last week, they decided that since they couldn't simply disprove the message of the gospel, they couldn't say that that was false, then what they would do is they would attack the man. If they could not disprove the gospel, then they would disprove Paul. And they challenged his authority as not being one of the original 12 apostles. And so Paul goes about, and you'll see it throughout this letter, he goes about showing that he is in fact an apostle and has the authority that comes with it. Now, why is it important that the church understand what an apostle is? Why does this even matter? And a lot of people will say in church, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what you're called. You're just a Christian and that's enough. But why does it matter that we know the designation of apostle and the authority that it holds? Well, first of all, these apostles were the chosen shepherds under the good and great shepherd who was Jesus. And these men acted as gatekeepers and, and guides and protectors and teachers for the early church. And as I said, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. 
They were eyewitnesses to the full story of the gospel. And in speaking to the Ephesian church, this is a different letter, but in speaking to the Ephesians, Paul says this about the apostles. This is Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And listen to this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, I'm not a super handy person, but I know a little bit about building a foundation. I mean, it was a, I was a kid and like I had Legos, right? So I, I get the idea. But if you think about the church, God's family as a house, Paul says here that the first stone laid in the foundation of the church is Jesus. He is the cornerstone of the church. The Bible also calls him the firstborn among the dead. He is the, the right and true rock upon which the church is built. He's tested. He's true. He's strong. He will not fail. He does not change. And so he doesn't shift like men do. Therefore, a foundation that's built upon Jesus is right and it is true. It was Peter, one of the apostles, who first received the revelation of who Jesus was. Jesus asked his apostles and said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the son of God. Christ said this, yes, and it is upon this rock, this revelation of who I am, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the strong first stone in the foundation of the church. But after Jesus come these men, these apostles. These men acted with the direct authority of Christ. These men were so indwelt by the Spirit of God, they're, they're indwelt in such a way that when what they spoke and what they taught became church doctrine. What they spoke and what they taught became what the church was called to believe under the authority of Jesus. What they wrote ultimately became scripture. It became the Bible that we now read in order to follow Christ and live by his plan. But of course, all of their teaching, everything they said, everything they wrote, everything they believed ultimately lived in harmony with the teachings of Jesus. Just as bricks and a foundation will lay flush to that first cornerstone that you put in the ground to build your foundation, these men lived in harmony with the teachings of Jesus. And here's the thing, church. Foundations only need to be laid once, right? If you do it right the first time, it doesn't need to be laid again. True, strong foundations do not shift or change or fail. They last for a long time. These kinds of men, these apostles, these men with this special title and designation, they do not exist today. New scripture is not being written. It is not being spoken. What we call the canon of scripture is closed. And no further revelation is needed or will be provided. Why? Because the foundation is laid. We are now building the church the line of what we might call apostolic authority or the authority of the apostles has ceased. There are no apostles. How do I know that? Well, they died. They all died. They all died and went to be with Christ. 
They live their lives for the gospel. They sacrifice their lives for the gospel. And the line of apostolic authority ended with the apostle John. And as I was thinking about this, I thought maybe some people might have a question. Well, if the apostles had this authority to speak scripture and to write scripture and to guide the church and to have authority over God's people, what does that mean for my authority as a Christian? Like, what authority do I have as a non-apostle? You might ask, what does that mean for me? Well, we have authority, but it certainly is not the same authority as Jesus. And I think many Christians wouldn't even argue that. But it's also not the same authority as the apostles. As as Christ's disciples, as we follow in Jesus' footsteps and in the footsteps of the apostles, just as they follow Jesus, we trust the words of the apostles just as much as we trust the words of Christ. When I read God's word, I do not say who is more correct, Jesus or Paul, John or Peter, but I find the harmony within their words, and I see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, inspired both the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, and the New Testament apostles, and I am free to submit to the authority of God's word. That's where my authority as a Christian comes from. I am free to submit to the authority of God's word, to the Spirit of God who speaks and writes God's words. And here's the thing, as Christians, as part of God's family, we are free to do something that people who are not a part of God's family can do. We are free to believe and have faith and to trust in the authority of what God has spoken. People who are not in Christ, who do not know Jesus, do not have that authority. They do not have that freedom. We are able to trust and believe all of it. Yet as disciples and and not apostles... We do not have the authority to establish new doctrine. We do not have the authority to establish new scripture, a new Bible, new teachings. Not only that, but we do also not have the authority to refuse the validity or the doctrine of anything found in the Bible. So we have the freedom to live under the rule of God, but we do not have the freedom to deny the words of God. Why is this important? Well, if you've been in the church long enough, you'll encounter people who would call themselves modern-day apostles. They will go under that title. They will say, I am an apostle. I'm just going to be really blunt about that. Um, You know, modern-day apostles really are simply delusional about their own authority. They are delusional. They are false teachers who ultimately have a serious problem with submitting to the clear word of God. They look at the Bible, they don't like it. And so what they do is they title themselves apostles so that they can ultimately make up their own rules and interpretations of what God said. They take on the title in order to usurp the authority of the original apostles and the authority of Jesus. Because they feel that it gives them the authority to override God's word, and ultimately they are far more concerned about people following and admiring them than they are about people following and admiring God. It's another kind of false teaching. It's another kind of false gospel. And these men, and and sometimes they're women, they are ultimately a plague upon God's church. No man has the authority to convict or bind your conscience. That means no man has the ability to make up any rules that will bind you, your thoughts, your feelings, or your actions that are not found in God's word. 
I cannot make up new rules for Convergent Church. Jesus laid those rules already. He laid the foundation. No man or woman has the ability to bind your conscience on anything that is not found in God's word. And ultimately, no man has the authority to deny any part of God's word is right and good. As a pastor, I must look at God's word and say, Jesus, help me lead your church according to your word. Help me believe all of it. Help me teach all of it. Help me deny none of it. Help me add nothing to it. As Dan said a few weeks ago, Jesus plus anything is a false gospel, right? So we do not take away anything from God's word, and we do not deny any part of God's word. That is our authority as Christians. Our authority comes from trusting in God's word. But Paul, in this text, also speaks very clearly about his conversion, how he met Jesus as another way to prove his apostolic authority. And so I want to talk a little bit about conversion this morning. I want to talk about our freedom in Christian conversion. Read with me verses 13 through 17. It says this, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus." So now, Paul continues to establish his apostolic authority by talking about how he was converted from a Jew who was persecuting the church to an apostle who was following Jesus. He had already told us that the gospel that he preached was not concocted by man, but was given to him directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have Paul's account of what happened. And Paul says two very important things that we need to latch on to. First, he says that he persecuted the church violently, attempting to destroy it. This is Paul's old life. Paul would go from house to house in the city of Jerusalem looking for Christians and turning them over to the Jewish authorities, the high priests who were the same people who committed Jesus to death by crucifixion. And this is Paul's account of his own actions. He was a persecutor of the church. We actually have a fuller view of what this looks like in the book of Acts Acts 26, starting with verse 9, says this. I myself, this is Paul speaking, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So it's interesting to me that Paul was once ultimately an opponent of the gospel, a false teacher of a different gospel. His main tactic was to do what? Use the authority of the chief priests. In other words, to use the authority of man to make Christians blaspheme God, that is to deny the authority of God. His main tactic was to use the authority of man 
to get Christians to deny the authority of God. Next, Paul says he was advancing in Judaism beyond others his age, and he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a man who kept even the most rigorous of Jewish traditions. And Paul rightly calls them the traditions of his fathers because this moral code that the Pharisees followed was a far, far cry from the purity of God's law and the purity of the gospel. The Pharisees had taken God's law and they had added so much to it that they had distorted its purity. They had distorted the truth. They had distorted the law that was supposed to bring freedom to God's people and not bind them. They distorted it into something that was ultimately unrecognizable. And they made laws to enforce other laws. Some of their laws were things like this. God says we can't work on the Sabbath, so we can only walk X amount of steps. Right? Or another one was, God says we cannot work on the Sabbath, so do not spit on the ground because your spit might become mud and that is considered work. These are real things. Don't spit on the ground because it might make mud and God will be mad at you. These are the kinds of laws they had. And this is who Paul was. He ultimately found his justification before God in keeping this rigorous law. And he pulled his authority to teach and to, and to, and to bind others through keeping this rigorous man-made code. So naturally, when, when Christianity comes on the scene, this, this message of freedom, this message of being justified before a holy God based by faith and not works, it's a complete affront to the entire way that Paul has been living his life. The idea that authority came from above and not from within, it, 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 it moved Paul into a fury of rage. That's what he said. It was maddening for him. He's so enraged that he begins to destroy the church in order to uphold the traditions of his birth. And I just have to stop. This isn't in my sermon, but I have to stop and think, is there any of us who are doing some of the same things? Is there any way that we are persecuting one another in a sense ruining one another, tearing one another down in order to uphold man-made traditions as opposed to the purity of the gospel? Is there any way that we are ruining one another's confidence in the faith by adding to the gospel and ultimately breaking one another's assurance? And as Paul here, as he's branching out from this region of Jerusalem, he heads north to a place called Damascus. And here, he receives his first look of the risen Lord Jesus. Paul receives his first look of what true authority is. He receives his first look of what true authority is. Here's the account in Acts 9. Acts 9, verse 1. This is a long text, so hang out with me. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called early Christians, those who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and though, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Paul gets a picture of what true authority looks like. Where authority really comes from, the person of Jesus, the blinding glory and holiness of Christ, blinds Paul. Let's continue in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. Paul is walking in this rigorous law keeping. He's zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He's persecuting the church, persecuting Jesus himself, destroying the body of Christ. And this, this man who found his justification in the law encounters the blinding glory of the name who is above all other names, the risen Christ, and he calls him what? He says, Lord. Master is what that word means. He sees Jesus and says, nope, you're it. Authority comes from you. And his, in his conversion, Paul understands who holds the true authority, and it's not man, it's Jesus. Man does not hold true authority. Jesus holds true authority. And I love that Paul can trace back, looking at his life, how the authority of God was working in his life. Earlier, he said this in verses 15, 16, He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul looks at his conversion and he says, God set me apart for this. God used my past for this. God used my sins for this, used my evil for this, so that Jesus would be revealed to me. Paul was made an apostle with a special mission to preach the good news of Jesus Christ among those who did not know Jesus just as Paul had not known Jesus. And he says that after this, he didn't go up to meet with the apostles, 
But instead, he preached this gospel on his own for three years before meeting any of the other apostles. These false teachers came into the church, and they wanted to make Paul out to be a second-hand observer of the ministry of Jesus and not a first-hand witness to the resurrected glory of Jesus. And hear me, church, false teachers want to do the same thing to you. They want to pull you so far away from the gospel that you become a second-hand observer of what God is doing in your life. God is doing in Owasso. God is doing in the people around you. They want to distort the gospel so you simply observe instead of walk in it as a witness to what God is doing around you. They want you to slow down. They want you to focus on yourself. They don't want you to see the blinding glory of Jesus. They want you to see the greatness of you so that you wouldn't be called to the field to bring others in. They wanted to discredit Paul in this way. Now, people have speculated as to why Paul went to Arabia, and, and, and Paul's point in this is to simply point out that for three years he was discipled by Christ himself apart from the other apostles. As I said, part of apostolic authority is having direct teaching from Jesus, direct one-on-one teaching. And some have said it said that, that he went out into Arabia, which is, a desert, which is a desert country, to be alone with Jesus to sort of make sense of what he had found and make sense of this truth that Jesus was Lord and that Jesus was God and that the gospel wasn't the gospel that he had been thinking. But the thing is, this is not how the Bible describes Paul. Acts 9 continues to tell us that what Paul did after he encountered the glory of Jesus as he took the truth of who Jesus was right back into the synagogues where he used to whip and beat Christians. He took the truth right back there and he began to preach the reality that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus saves. And it says he confounded the Jews with it. He confounded them with it. Paul's conversion is so radical that he goes from tearing the church down to building the church up. He was once making a mockery of Christ, and now he's magnifying Christ's name. He goes from false teacher to gospel advocate like that. It's beautiful. Church, I want you to think about your own conversion. I want you to think about the day you came face to face with who Jesus was. The day you came face to face with the authority of God, the glory of God, the day that you knew you were a sinner and that God was the rescuer, the day you knew that you were powerless and that Jesus held all the power, the day that, the day that Jesus called you out of the darkness of your blindness and into the light of his kingdom, the day that you knew Jesus was the answer, how did you respond? How did you respond to who Jesus was? Did you respond as some who say, say Paul did, that he sort of went out to be alone with God and make sense of his newfound freedom and this, this good news that, that was preached to you? Did you get quiet with God and try to wrap your mind around what it meant to be God's child, to live for Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom, or or are you like others who took the name of Jesus to the streets and confounded your friends with it and aggravated your family with it and pestered your coworkers with it? How did you respond? Think back. Here's the good news, church. No matter how you responded 
to the gospel proclamation, whether it was quiet or loud, secretive or wide open, regardless of how you responded to the gospel, Paul tells us the reason why you responded to the gospel, which is far more important than to how you responded. The reason why you responded to the gospel. Paul says, God set me apart before I was born. Church, I need you to hear this. Christ set you apart before you were born. God was pleased to show you Jesus. And because of God's grace, you've been made free. You've been given freedom to respond favorably to the good news when others have not been given that. You've been made free to respond both in in deep introspection and outward and upward exaltation of who God is and to live under the banner of God's authority, his good and his kind authority, while others still blaspheme and mock God. Why is it? Why are you free and others not free yet? Why are you a Christian when others are not a Christian Well, read with me the reason. The reason you now love and enjoy God's authority over you and no longer rebel against his word. The reason your eyes are opened, as Paul's were, to the shining glory of Jesus. Here's our last point. Here's the reason for Christian freedom. This is it. The reason for Christian freedom. Let's continue on. Verses 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Here's the ticket, church. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. We have the whole of Christian purpose wrapped up in one sentence. They glorified God because of me. Child of God, hear me. Hear me. You have one purpose in this life, and it's very simple. Your purpose is to know God so that you can make him known. That's your purpose. You have a purpose, and that is to know God in order to make him known. There really just isn't anything else to the Christian life. This is why you are free from sin and alive to God. This is why you belong to God. Just as Paul said, he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were those who did not know God. That word preach means to proclaim. It means to herald. It means to make known. It's like a news crier on the corner saying, Jesus has come. Be reconciled unto him. That's what it means to preach. You might put it this way. God set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace and revealed Jesus to me so that I might preach Christ among the nurses and Christ among the photographers and Christ among the teachers and Christ among the horse trainers and Christ among the businessmen and Christ among the homeschool moms and Christ, Christ for all. This is what it is to be a Christian. That we would preach Christ among all those who do not confess the authority of God and and revel in his glory. 
And so church, if you walk away with anything today, just hear this. You are free for this. You have authority for this. You are free to make Christ's name known in the city of Owasso. And your authority doesn't come from your own ability to do it in a great way. It doesn't come from you being clean. It doesn't come from you being without sin. It doesn't come from your own pedigree. Your authority to make Christ known comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's your power and it's your purpose. Because in a sense, church, we're all apostles, aren't we? We're all sent ones. Christ has sent all of us out, not in the same way that he sent Paul out, not with the same authority. But we have all been given authority and purpose. And as Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, he said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, you are free to make Christ known. And I would also say this, you are free to make Christ known knowing this. If God can save Paul, God can save anyone you preach the gospel to. You are free for this. You are a child of God for this. Go in the confidence that the gospel provides, that God has called them, God knows them, and God is simply waiting for us to go out into the field of Owasso preach the gospel to them that they might glorify God because of us. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. Like, God, I can't believe that I'm a child of God. Lord, I can't believe that a sinner like me, Lord, a man who constantly make mistakes, a man who constantly runs against you, Lord, who kicks against the goads, Lord, 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 a man who has such a desire to build up the church but sometimes finds himself tearing it down, Lord, somehow in your grace you have made me yours. And Lord, I just can't believe it. My heart overflows with thanks, Lord. But here's my simple desire for your church, Lord, and Convergent Church is your church, Here's my simple desire, Lord, that those who live in the city of Owasso would glorify you because of us. Lord, and not because we're great, Lord, but because we're desperate sinners who have been shown the light of Jesus Christ. And in your grace, you've called us to respond. So, Lord, now in faith we go. Lord, now in faith we sing. Now in faith we preach. Now in faith we proclaim, knowing, Lord, that you will have your glory if we would simply speak. We love you. In Jesus' name.